Well, today we're going to be talking about a deeper insight into what it means to be born again. In the previous two sessions, we were talking about the new birth from the perspective of a physical new birth. We have thought that being born again is just a spiritual thing, where our spirits are born again. But there is no scripture in the Bible that talks about the born-again spirit. We never see Paul's writing saying, you're born-again spirit. No, Paul talks about the new birth from a completely different perspective. He talks about the new birth as a new creation. And that new creation has got everything to do with a, a physical creation that is made brand new. That doesn't find its power in its own ability, but actually in, the, in God itself, of God himself. So what we've said in the previous sessions is that Nicodemus, when Jesus spoke to him, he understood that Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And what he understood was that Jesus was actually telling him, Nicodemus, you as a person, a whole person, needs to be born again. From there, the question, why do I have to be, or not why, how? How is it possible? Uh, Is it possible for a man to go back into his mother's womb and be born again or born from above? Uh, And then Jesus explained to him how these things take place. Now, um, I want to just lay a short foundation on how the justice of God works. And I think we will have to repeat this many times. The justice of God is not a punishment-orientated justice, wherein God finds justice in saying, if somebody has transgressed, then God must punish that person. No, the justice of God does not work like that. The justice of God is, has got everything to do with what God originally planned for man and the life that he originally designed and wanted to give unto man and to see that man experiences that. One thing we need to understand is that Jesus comes to, or he spoke, spoke to the Pharisees, he says to them, you are of your father the devil, and he was a murderer of man from the beginning. So Jesus sees that man was basically murdered by uh, the, the devil, that Adam and Eve was basically murdered. It was a murder. You know, and when somebody is murdered, who's the guilty one? You can never impute the trespasses that those people go through in being deceived, in being led away, in all those kind of things, uh, to them. And if someone, and today we, in our justice system, in America it works this way in many states, it's that they've got the death penalty. So if you've taken a life from someone, then it's like your life is going to be taken. Because it basically says it is not just for a person to lose his life or for his life to be taken from him. And God comes with justice and what he says is, 
I've had a dream for man that man would have eternal life. And the murderer of man, which is the devil, he came and uh, brought lies to Adam and Eve. And he deceived Eve. And through the deception that was in Eve, Adam was also tempted. And he took of what kills man. It would be like uh, going to somebody and say to him, listen, go and uh, take uh, the car that's in the driveway and you can go and safely drive with it. But you know that the brakes on that car doesn't work. And maybe someone has come and warned you and said to you, listen, the brakes on this car is not okay. But you come and you say to to someone that you want to kill, you say to him, listen, it's okay. Take this car, drive with it. And it is just going to be fun. It's not true. That brakes are actually okay. You're going to be fine. And then you drive. And as you drive, you find that the brakes is not okay. And then you die. Now, you, the, the, the person who got in the car was the disobedient one, definitely. And he, he is guilty in the sense of he didn't listen to the advice you gave. But at the end of the day, those people got murdered. It was a planned murder. And that is what the devil did. It was a planned murder. And God has come and he said that his people basically has been murdered. And they need to be born again. We need to have a brand new life. Creation needs to be born again. But this birth that will take place will take place from the power of God. Now there's a lot to say about this and I can obviously not get into this just in uh, this session today. It would be nice to have one week and just sit and share line upon line about these things. So there are, there are many questions that can arise from this. But what I want to say to you is this, and this is the foundation that I want to lay. The justice of God is to restore man and bring what God had promised from before the world began into manifestation and fruition in people's lives. And what God has promised from before the world began is eternal life. Now you've heard me say that many times and I want to just say that again to you. God was an eternal being. He had no beginning and no end. And he wanted a friend in life. And a friend that shares in the same life. And he decided to create a heaven and an earth, make man on the earth, and then make man alive. And this living being, uh, which had the ability to die, which could die, he offered him a place where he could never die and that would be then to eat of the tree of life and live forever and so be uh, one with God and in part of, uh, I mean, to be a God family, wherein God shares his life, wherein we are then the object wherein the love of God is being put on display, the generosity of God, the kindness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, where it's put on display. Now, when that doesn't take place and, and when man fell, God said, I want to do what's right. I want to do what is just according to my original plan. And I will have an immortal friend 
that I can share my life with and that I can fellowship with, that I can have friendship with, wherein we can share in the same life. And God didn't give up on what He planned from the beginning and He continued. So for those of you that still think of God as a God of justice, wherein He has to punish in order to have justice satisfied and that punishment then designed towards the disobedient person, I want to tell you that that is not how it works. Was there a punishment? Yes. The punishment was towards the murderer. That's where the punishment is. And the punishment towards that being is eternal destruction. But we who believe upon the Lord, we will have eternal life. So what God wants to come and do is He wants to bring forth a new creation, a creation that is not finding its power in itself, but a creation that finds its power in the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Now, I want to start off by giving the definition of grace, and then we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 12 to um, 16, and we're going to just talk about what this grace is, what this influential power of God is, and how this new birth works. When we think of grace, and I want to start out this way, we can never think of grace inside the parameters of a transgression of the law. Grace didn't come into existence the moment man sinned. Grace was something that has always been there. Grace can never end. We've many times said grace is a person. Now, um, I can understand that one would say that, but I would rather say it's something much, it's bigger than that, bigger than just a person. Uh, Grace is the very power of God, the spirit of God, the very life of God, wherewith God brings into existence that which he has dreamt for our lives. That is what grace is. From their definition, according to Strong's, which says, it is the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ and keeps them, increases them in the Christian faith and knowledge. I'm sorry, that was a Thayer definition. But Strong says it this way, it is... um, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. So what grace is, is it's the divine influence upon a human's heart and the manifestation in the here and now. So what grace is, grace is not God saying, well, I am not looking at your sin, I'm not angry with you and all those kind of things. No. God doesn't look at man from a judicial point of view. He looks at man from the point of view of original design, his children, uh, his own, the ones that he loves, the ones that he brings salvation to, the ones that he cares for. That's how he looks at man. Now, with that in mind, with grace being I think I'm going to jump to another verse, and then we're going to go to John 1 here. With with grace being this influential power that's got actually nothing to do with transgression of the law, I want us to go and look at a passage in Luke 1, verse 26. Luke 1, verse 
26. We'll quickly get it. Uh, and this is about Mary. Mary Magdalene, and she was a virgin. And we're going to look at this. It says in verse 26, and look at grace in the life of, of Mary. And in the sixth month, um, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said unto her, Hail, you art highly favored, the Lord is with you, blessed are you amongst women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word favor is actually the is the Greek word charis, which means grace. You have found grace with God, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall these things be, seeing I am not I have no man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore all that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your cousin Elijah, and it goes on, and eventually Mary says, if you read on, and Mary arose and said basically, let this be done unto me. Let it be unto me according to your word. Now, the focus here is, Mary is a virgin. Sexually, she's done nothing wrong. Yet, God is now going to grace her. And this grace is that you will be with child. So we find that the grace of God is actually something that causes Mary to be able to do something or partake of something that no man can do by himself. What woman by herself can be pregnant without any man or any seed? Just she alone. It is impossible. But here it says that you have found grace in the eyes of God or God will have grace on you. And then she said, how will I have this grace? She said, listen to what happens. The Holy Spirit will come over you and then you will be with child. What is the Holy Spirit? It is the very life of God, the very source by which all things are created. And then inside your womb will a man be formed. And he shall be the Messiah. So we see that grace in the, in the case of Mary has got nothing to do with transgression. It's got everything to do with God actually bringing forth something in her human body that she was not able to perform by her own power. Now, with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at John 1. Remember, we're talking about the new birth. 
Uh, we're talking about having our physical bodies actually born from the Holy Spirit. I hope you can really start to see where I'm going with this. John chapter 1 verse 11, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So here we see that Jesus was called the Son of God because God was the one that formed him in his womb, in, in the womb of, of Mary. And he was the Son of God as what the first Adam was the Son of God. The Bible, look at, if you go and look at the genealogy of, of Jesus, you will see in one of the recordings that it goes down to Adam and Adam is called the son of God. Why? Because he didn't have a physical father, but God actually formed him from the dust of the earth. So was Jesus formed from the dust of the earth. We know that we as humans, the Bible says in, in Psalm 103, that we are but dust. So God came and he formed from the dust of the earth in Mary's womb. He formed a man and breathed into that man the breath of life. And that man became a living soul, which was Jesus that was born. Then that very same Jesus was born again. Um, but the birth he had there, the second birth Jesus had, was, and we've discussed this in the previous two sessions, where Jesus was born from the dead, where the Bible says that this day have I begotten you, and then it refers in the second psalm, when he raised Jesus from the dead. So we find Jesus being formed by the Father and brought forth as the Son of God. Then he died, and then he was called the begotten of God, begotten out of the dead, wherein there was no Mary involved, but only God. So in the very same way, uh, uh, and we find then, let me put it this way, in this birth where Jesus was born from the dead, we find that he has got immortality, he cannot die. We find Paul seeing him later on the road to Damascus as, as basically God in human flesh in the sense of that flesh has attained and known what it is like to have no beginning and no end. We know that Jesus' body had a beginning. The beginning was right there in Mary. But now, the body Jesus has now, since it's so, been so unified with the life of God, that body has no beginning nor end. It transcends, it's greater than what we can even imagine or think. But that's what God has come to give us. It's a gift that no man can give or fathom. It's above human comprehension or what we could start to fathom. But God declared it, and now we understand it. Okay, now. Back to John 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you can be born of blood, but you can also have your body being born of God. Now let me see, you might say, no, Bertie, I don't, I, I don't believe that our bodies can be born of God. Let's read verse 14. And the word, the message of eternal life, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we're not going to go much deeper than that. I think that's about what we're going we're gonna to talk about today. 
But what he's saying here, and if you can just take this nugget today, I will be so blessed. And it will give you a lot to, to think about. Mary, grace came, or Mary was graced. What that grace was, was the influence of the Holy Spirit on her belief, the influence upon her heart, and the manifestation in life. So what did, what did the angel Gabriel came and do? The angel Gabriel spoke to Mary a message. The word was that you are blessed above all women. And she wanted to know what that means. And he said that you will be with a child and this child will be the Messiah, basically. And she said, how can these things be? He says, but God has graced you. She says, how can it be? Almost like you get the kind of a language that was in John 3 with Nicodemus. He says, the Holy Spirit will come over you and then that holy thing that will be formed in you will be born of God. In other words, God will bring forth something physical inside you, a physical human. So, what we see is that that was called grace. You need to understand that. There was a divine influence upon the heart of Mary. She believed it and said, let it be done unto me. Then the Holy Spirit influenced her life unto a manifestation of something that she could never do by her own ability. Now who of us, by our own ability, can attain unto the immortality of the human body? No one. It's only by the grace of God. Can you see why it's important not to see grace as something that is got uh, that finds its definition in guilty or not guilty and God's being gracious and he's not going to punish me. The definition of grace that is found inside the parameters of punishing and not punishing is weak grace. It's a very low understanding, small understanding, shallow understanding of what grace is. You don't need um uh, you don't need a transgression of a law in order for God to be gracious. When God decided to make a promise that He gives, will give us eternal life, it was already grace. When He made the worlds, it was His grace, His Spirit that brought forth. When He brought forth Adam, it was His influence. Amen. Then Adam did not believe and went to be under another influence which was not grace. Then God came and says, but I will influence man still. And he graced Mary. And by gracing Mary, he influenced humanity. Then he died and he rose again out of our death, out of our sin. And now he's got a resurrected physical human wherewith he wants to grace us. And give that same freedom to our bodies. Let us read that again. You're going to see this now. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you can have a life born of all those things, and then you can have your life born from God. And the word which was made flesh dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what does that mean? Only begotten, for those of you that have not heard this, let's go to Acts 13 again. Acts 13 and verse 
I know this is repetitive, but it is needed. It says in verse 32, And we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same in us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus again. So it says God made a promise. There was a word of promise. This word was basically made flesh. How? In that God raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, this day have I begotten you. So Psalm 2 verse 7, where it says, You are my son, this day I have begotten you, refers to the physical resurrection of Jesus. That is now the begotten son. Now with that in mind, we go back to uh, John 1.14. Back to John 1.14. Listen to this. It says, And the word was made flesh. What word? That promise. The promise of what? Of eternal life. That promise was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So what is John referring to here? He's not referring to the birth that came from Mary. He's referring to this physical resurrected Jesus. He's referring to the full of the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. This day have I begotten you. And then when we beheld, now listen to this, when we beheld the resurrected Jesus, this glorified human was full of grace. He was graced and who and what has happened to him was full of a divine influence unto us, full of grace and truth. So in other words, this resurrected Jesus is the one that is now the influential power to usward, which can therefore, whereby we can then be graced. Now, let's read on. It says in verse 16, And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. Now, what is that? What is he talking about there? We have defined that grace for grace as grace heaped upon grace and all those kind of things. But that's not what it means. I remember teaching that as a real lot of grace. A big amount of grace. I preached it so many times. And it is true that it is really a lot of grace. And I've preached really a lot of grace as since Jesus came, now God can be very gracious towards my sins in the sense of He will never, 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 never be angry with me when I do something wrong. And I'm so happy that He's not angry with me. I want to tell you that God's, uh, God is not, God loves the world. Think that. Let's get anger out of our mind for a moment and let us just see what this passage is actually saying here. He's saying that God came and he graced the world in raising Christ from the dead. The Bible says Jesus grew in the grace of God. He grew in the influential power of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and in the manifestation of the life. And the Spirit has influenced Jesus' heart so much that one day when he that he believed that he, the Father would raise him, and then the Spirit manifested that in his body, in raising him from the dead, bringing forth a new creation, begotten of God. Not begotten of the flesh, but begotten of the Spirit, yet physical. Now, listen to this. Now it says, 
This resurrected Jesus was full of grace. He was full of the very same power that raised him in manifesting that towards people. Now listen, he says, of his fullness, of his fullness, have we all received and grace for grace. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. My goodness, I mean, there is another hour in that. But what He's saying here is, Jesus was, by the Holy Spirit, brought forth in a resurrected body. And John says, when we beheld that, we beheld the glory the, the, the fullness of God in a human body and of His fullness. Now remember the Bible says, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. Colossians. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. Very important. Now of His fullness, what fullness? Of the fullness of God bodily. The bodily fullness of God. Have we received... Influence. So what influences us? Bodily godliness. Bodily fullness. Uh, the in, what influences us is the fact that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily and that He was bodily begotten into the fullness of God who is beyond time, beyond beginning or end. That, and we find that now in a physical human body. Now he says, we have received of his fullness grace upon grace or grace for grace. I, I think that's a correct translation there. It was grace for grace. So that means the Spirit brought forth Jesus. He was raised by the Spirit of holiness by God the Father unto an immortal life. And that grace, on account of that grace, we are now graced. Because of that grace, we are graced unto having the very same life wherein we can have the confident expectation of a brand new life because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And with that as a foundation, we're now turning to that wonderful passage in 1 Peter. The justice of God is not retributive, meaning he doesn't need to punish someone to, to redeem him from his anger. Neither is the justice of God, that does have anything to do with you trying to live a holy life to score points with God. Neither has got anything to do with you having a consciousness of your sins and all those kind of things. The righteousness, the message of God's grace was from the beginning. Grace didn't only come into existence when Jesus came. No, the grace that was promised, which is, I will give you eternal life. That grace came into manifestation with Jesus. Amen. God always had grace. There was no time when God did not have grace. 
The thing with Noah, when you go and read um, Genesis 6, the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah found that when he beheld God, he looked into the eyes of God, and he found a God that wanted to save his life and prolong his life and not wanting him to die. That's what he saw. God spoke to all people and no one in his eyes or in his heart had any place for the voice of God. But, and what God was actually saying, but God, uh, Noah, interpreted God's message as God wants to give me a, a dwelling place and he wants to dwell with me and he wants to be gracious towards me. And when he saw God as a God that wants to influence unto a brand new life and he believed that, what happened? God gave him the know-how on how to build the ark and his life was saved. Can you see that grace has got nothing to do with um, God not with God being angry or not angry, but grace has got everything to do with actually giving you another life or to, for you to continue to live and not die. Actually to be born again. You know, the whole world was, was to be washed away in the flood. But then Noah, which was to be washed with the whole world, was not. But he got another life. The sign of a new birth. Okay, a type and a shadow. Right there. So, uh, if we go to Peter, we're going to look at this now quickly. as begotten. The Bible says here, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 3. Which, has be, uh, which in his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what does that mean? Let's just quickly go to verse 23. We then being born again. So we are now experiencing a brand new birth. Why? Not of corruptible seed or a corruptible word, but of the incorruptible by the message of God which lives and abides forever. So what is he saying here? Church, this is technical, but I will tell you, this is the crux of the matter. This is what it's about for those who want to understand the gospel. I believe this is what Paul was praying about when he was, taught, when he was praying in Ephesians and say, may they, may they understand the hope of their calling. May they understand the dimensions of the love of God. May they be wise in the knowledge of God. This is, this is the thing. So I, I really believe that. So what he's saying here is, he says, listen, when Jesus was raised from the dead, a human was raised and we beheld how God graced Jesus unto immortality in a physical body. And now, from there, we've got the expectation, the hope of the same. And as we hope upon that, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now we receive it, and now all of a sudden we have a brand new life. We are, our lives are changed now. We have a brand new source of life. We are begotten again because we are expecting to be begotten in our bodies in the resurrection that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Jesus believed, let me put it this way, because Jesus believed the Father would raise him from the dead, that's why his life was the way it was on the earth. 
That's how he conducted his life, according to that hope. In the very same now, assurance has been given to every man in that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, my friend. And that assurance, as we have that, our lives are conducted in a brand new way and the spirit that will give birth to, let me put it this way, and I'm going to use a bit of a strange language here, the spirit that will be gotten us, our bodies, that will save our bodies, unto immortality from physical death, that spirit is living in us, curing and healing our flesh today. That's why our physical bodies can start to think, our physical brains can start to think thoughts we could never think about under just being trying to be directed or being convinced that the Christian life is a good thing or trying to obey the law, all those kind of things. Our brains, I found that as you study this and as we believe upon the resurrection, something happens by the power of the Holy Spirit where your mind is enlightened, where the physical brain starts to, where the, where the power of the resurrection starts to form neuro paths and patterns in your brain which would not have been possible outside of having this hope where we, have, where we are graced unto a brand new life. Glory to God. The thoughts of holiness that you can have by believing upon the resurrection, you have never even thought of what you can think of in as a matter of holy thoughts and what is possible and how blessed you are and the joy and the kindness and the goodness and everything that can be in your life. You know, I'm going to end off with this. I mean, there's a lot to say, but I just feel I'm going to end off with this. God is not... We had this idea that because Jesus was punished, we're not going to be punished. And the Father had to punish because He's just. Therefore, He punished Jesus because He serves, actually serves justice. Then He punished Jesus. Now, we are very happy for the good news that we will not be punished. Now our joy is the joy of knowing that no one is going to punish me. But I want to tell you, that is not the joy of God. Because God doesn't have the joy of, you know what, I'm very happy because no one is going to punish me. God's joy is not the joy of, no one's going to punish me. So if your joy is the joy of, no one's going to punish me, then I want to tell you, you don't have the joy of God. <laughs> it's not the joy of God. The joy of God is the joy that He, 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 he is the eternal, immortal, having no beginning, having no end, having no defilement in him at all, he is happy because he's got that life in him. He is happy because he's happy. He's got the, the, the joy of a kind of a life that's of such high quality that it cannot be saddened. And that is what he wants to bring forth to you and the own, in you. And the only way it can take place is by gracing a human body and having that human body manifest as the only begotten, and then the resurrected body, when you behold that, that is full of grace, and of the fullness which is, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, we receive grace, because 
Jesus was graced unto immortality. That is grace for grace. Hallelujah. And thereby we live. Amen. And that's how we live holy lives. I hope you can see how the dying body had to be born from the dead so that the true problem, which is a dying body and dying thoughts and thoughts of a dying body, can be conquered so that we can be hold of the fullness